Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the World of Percy Jackson. In this episode we're going to read chapters 35 to 39. You heard that right. We are going to be reading four chapters in this episode. I have been listening to everyone's requests and obviously since it is summertime there's going to be a, a lot more, you know, there was a lot of anticipated wait to see if I would post more than once. Unfortunately, I do have again, yet again, a busy schedule, but I will try my best to make longer episodes like this. So you guys won't even need maybe more than one upload per week. So yeah, this this episode we will be reading chapters 35 to 39. A quick recap of uh, on the previous episode of chapters 33 to 34. The crew, Jason, Piper, Hazel, Leo, and Frank, are all now trying to find Diocletian's scepter that is apparently haunted by Diocletian, a former son of Jupiter, and it will be interesting to see what will happen as they split up in the town of Split. So now we're going to read chapter 35, Jason. Jason first saw the angel at the ice cream cart. The Argo II had anchored in the bay along with six or seven cruise ships, as usual. The mortals didn't pay the trireme any attention, but just to be safe, Jason and Nico hopped on, the, on a skiff from one of the tourist boats so that they would look like part of the crowd when they came ashore. At first glance, Split seemed like a cool place. Curving around the harbor was a long esplanade lined with palm trees. At the sidewalk cafes, European teenagers were hanging out, speaking a dozen different languages and enjoying the sunny afternoon. The air smelled of grilled meat and fresh-cut flowers. Beyond the main boulevard, the city was a, was a hodgepodge of medieval castle towers, Roman walls, limestone townhouses with red-tiled roofs, and modern office buildings, all crammed together. In the distance, green, gray-green hills marched toward a mountain ridge, which made Jason a little nervous. He kept glancing at that rocky escarpment, expecting the face of Gaia to appear in its shadows. Nico and he were wandering along the esplanade when Jason spotted the guy with the wings buying an ice cream bar from a street cart. The vendor lady looked bored as she counted the guy's change. Tourists navigated around the angel's huge wings without a second glance. Jason nudged Nico. Are you seeing this? Yeah, Nico agreed. Maybe we should buy some ice cream. As they made their way toward the cart ice cream the street cart, Jason worried that this winged dude might be a son of Boreas the Northwind. At his side, the angel carried the same kind of jagged bronze sword the Boreads had, and Jason's last encounter with them hadn't gone so well. But this guy seemed more chill than chilly. He wore a red tank top, Bermuda shorts, and Huarachi sandals. His wings were common combinations of reset colors, like a bantam, roos bantam rooster or a lazy sunset. He had a deep tan and black hair, almost as curly as Leo's. He's not a returned spirit, Nico murmured or a creature of the underworld. No, Jason agreed. I doubt they would eat chocolate-covered ice cream bars. So what is he? Nico wondered. They got within 30 feet, and the winged dude looked directly at them. He smiled, gestured over his shoulder with his ice cream bar, and dissolved into the air. Jason couldn't exactly see him, but he had enough experience controlling the wind that he could track the angel's path, a warm wisp of red and gold zipping across the street, spiraling down the sidewalk, and blowing postcards from the carousels in front of the tourist shops. The wind headed toward the end of the promenade, where a big fortress-like structure loomed. I'm betting that's the palace, Jason said. Come on. Even after two millennia, Diocletian's palace was still impressive. The outer wall was only a pink granite shell, with crumbling columns and arched windows open to the sky. 
but it was mostly intact. A quarter mile long and 70 or 80 feet tall, dwarfing the modern shops and houses that huddled beneath it. Jason imagined what the palace must have looked like when it was newly built, with imperial guards walking the ramparts and the golden eagles of Rome glinting on the parapets. The wind angel, or whatever he was, whisked whisked in and out of the pink granite windows, then disappeared on the other side. Jason scanned the palace's facade for an entrance. The only one he saw was several blocks away with tourists lined up to buy tickets. No time for that. We've got to catch him, Jason said. Hold on. But Jason grabbed Nico and lifted them both into the air. Nico made a muffled sound of protest as he soared over the walls and into a courtyard where more tourists were milling around taking pictures. A little kid did a double take when they landed. Then his eyes glazed over and he shook his head, like he was dismissing a juice box-induced hallucination. No one else paid them any attention. On the left side of the courtyard stood a line of columns holding up weathered gray arches. On the right side was a white marble building with rows of tall windows. The peristal, Nico said. This was the entrance to Diocletian's private residence, he scowled at Jason. And please, I don't like being touched. Don't ever grab me again. Jason's shoulder blades tensed. He thought he heard the undertone of a threat, like, unless you wanted to get a Stygian sword up your nose. Uh, okay, sorry. How do you know what this place is called? Nico scanned the atrium. He focused on some steps in the far corner leading down. I've been here before. His eyes were as dark as his blade. With my mother and Bianca. A weekend trip from Venice? That was maybe six. That was when the 1930s? 38 or so. Nico said absently. But why do you care? Do you see that winged guy anywhere? No. Jason was still trying to wrap his mind around Nico's past. Jason had always tried to build a good relationship with the people on his team. He learned the hard way that if somebody was going to have your back in a fight, it was better if you found some common ground and trusted each other. But Nico wasn't easy to figure out. I just... I can't imagine how weird that must be coming from another time. No, you can't. Nico stared at the stone floor. He took a deep breath. Look... I don't like talking about it. Honestly, I think Hazel has it worse. She remembers more about when she was young. She had to come back from the dead and just the modern world. Me, me and Bianca, we were stuck at the Lotus Hotel. Time passed so quickly in a weird way that made the transition easier. Percy told me about that place, Jason said. 70 years? But it only felt like a month. Nico clenched his fists until his fingers turned white. Yeah, I'm sure Percy told you all about me. His voice was heavy with bitterness, more than Jason could understand. He knew that Nico had blamed Percy for getting his sister Bianca killed, but they'd supposedly gone past that, at least according to Percy. Piper had also mentioned a rumor that Nico had a crush on Annabeth. Maybe that was part of it. Still, Jason didn't get why Nico pushed people away, why he never spent much time at either camp, why he preferred the dead to the living. He really didn't get why Nico had promised to lead the Argo II to Epirus if he hated Percy Jackson so much. Nico's eyes swept the windows above them. Roman dead are everywhere here. Lairs, Lemures, they're watching. They're angry. At us? Jason's hand went to his sword. At everything. Nico pointed to a st- small stone building on the west end of the courtyard. That used to be a temple to Jupiter. The Christians changed it to a baptistry. The Roman ghosts don't like that. Jason stared at the dark doorway. He never met Jupiter, but he thought of his father as a living person. The guy who'd fallen in love with his mom. Of course, he knew his dad was immortal, but somehow the full meaning of that had never really sunk in until now. As he stared at a doorway Romans had walked through thousands of years ago to worship his dad, the idea gave Jason a splitting headache. And over there, 
Nico pointed east to a hexagonal building, ringed with freestanding columns. That was the mausoleum of the emperor. But his tomb isn't there anymore, Jason guessed. Not for centuries, Nico said. When the empire collapsed, the building was turned into a Christian cathedral. Jason swallowed. So if Diocletian's ghost is still around here, he's probably not happy. The wind rustled, pushing leaves and food wrappers across the peristal. In the corner of his eye, Jason got, caught a glimpse of movement, a blur of red and gold. When he turned, a single rust-colored feather was settling on the steps that led down. That way, Jason pointed. That winged guy? Where do you think those stairs, the stairs led? Those stairs lead. Nico drew his sword. His smile was even more unsettling than his scowl. Underground, he said. My favorite place. Underground was not Jason's favorite place. Ever since his trip beneath Rome with Piper and Percy, fighting those twin giants in the Hypogeum under the Colosseum, most of his nightmares were about basements, trapdoors, and large hamster wheels. Having Nico along was not reassuring. His Stygian iron blades seemed to make the shadows even gloomier, as if the infernal metal was drawing the light and heat out of the air. They crept through a vast cellar with thick support columns, holding up a vaulted ceiling. The limestone blocks were so old they had fused together from centuries of moisture, making the place look almost like a naturally formed cave. None of the tourists had ventured down here. Obviously, they were smarter than demigods. Jason drew his gladius. They made their way under the low archways, their steps echoing on the stone floor. Barred windows lining lined the top of one wall, facing the street level, but that just made the cellar feel more claustrophobic. The shafts of sunlight looked like slanted prison bars, swirling with ancient dust. Jason passed a support beam, looking to his left, and almost had a heart attack. Staring right at him was a marble dust of Diocletian, his limestone face glowering with disapproval. Jason steadied his breathing. This seemed like a good place to leave the note he'd written for Reyna, telling her of their route to Epirus. It was away from the crowds, but he trusted Reyna would find it. She had the instincts of a hunter. He slipped the note between the bust and its pedestal and stepped back. Diocletian's marble eyes made him jumpy. Jason couldn't help thinking of Terminus, the talking statue god back in New Rome. He hoped Diocletian didn't bark at him or suddenly burst into song. Hello! Before Jason could register that the voice had come from somewhere else, he sliced off the emperor's head, the bus toppled, and shattered against the floor. That wasn't very nice, said the voice behind them. Jason turned. The winged man from the ice cream stand was leaning against a nearby column, casually tossing a small bronze hoop in the air. At his feet sat a wicker picnic basket full of fruit. I mean, the man said, what did Diocletian ever do to you? The air swirled around Jason's feet. The shards of marble gathered into a miniature tornado, spiraled back to the pedestal, and reassembled into a complete bust. The note was still tucked underneath. Uh, Jason lowered his soda. It was an accident. You startled me. The winged dude chuckled. <laughs> Jason Grace, the West Wind has been called many things. Warm, gentle, life-giving, and devilishly handsome. But I have never been called startling. I leave that crass behavior to my gusty brethren in the north. Nico inched backward. The West Wind. You mean your Favonius, Jason realized. God of the West Wind. Favonius smiled and bowed, obviously pleased to be recognized. You can call me by my Roman name. Certainly. Or Zephyros. If you're Greek, I'm not hung up about it. Nico looked pretty hung up about it. Why aren't your Greek and Roman sides in conflict like their other gods? Oh, I have the occasional headache, Favonius shrugged. Some mornings I'll wake up in a Greek chaton when 
I'm sure I went to sleep in my SPQR pajamas, but mostly the war doesn't bother me. I'm a minor god, you know? Never really been much in the limelight. The to and fro battles among you demigods don't affect me as greatly. So, Jason wasn't quite sure whether to sheath his sword. What are you doing here? Several things, Favunia said. Hanging out with my basket of fruit. I always carry a basket of fruit. Would you like a pear? I'm good. Thanks. Let's see. Earlier, I was eating ice cream. Right now, I'm tossing this quoit ring. Favonius spun the bronze hoop on his index finger. Jason had no idea what a quoit is. Was, but he tried to stay focused. I mean, why did you appear to us? Why did you lead us to the cellar? Oh! Pavonius nodded. The sarcophagus of Diocletian. Yes, this was its final resting place. The Christians move it out of the mausoleum. Then some barbarians destroy the coffin. I just wanted to show you. He spread his hands sadly. That's what you're looking for, isn't here. My master has taken it. Your master? Jason had a flashback to a floating palace above Pikes Peak in Colorado, where he'd visited, and barely survived, the studio of a crazy weatherman who claimed he was the god of all winds. Please tell me your master isn't Aeolus. That airhead? Favonius snorted. No, of course not. He means Eros. Nico's voice turned edgy. Cupid. In Latin. Favonius smiled. Very good, Nico D'Angelo. I'm glad to see you again, by the way. It's been a long time. Nico knit his eyebrows. I've never met you. You've never seen me, the god corrected. But I've been watching you. When you came here as a small boy and several times since, I knew eventually you would return to look upon my master's face. Nico turned even paler than usual. His eyes darted around the cavernous room as if he was trying to feel trapped. Nico? Jason said. What's he talking about? Well, I don't know. Nothing. Nothing! Favonius cried. The one you care for most. Plunge into Tartarus. And still you will not, you will not allow the truth? Suddenly, Jason felt like he was eavesdropping. The one you care for most. He remembered what Piper had told him about Nico's crush on Annabeth. Apparently, Nico's feelings went way deeper than a simple crush. We've only come for Diocletian's scepter. Nico said, clearly anxious to change the subject. Where is it? Ah. Favonius nodded sadly. You thought it would be as easy as facing Diocletian's ghost. I'm afraid not, Nico. Your trials will be much more difficult. You know, long before this was Diocletian's palace, it was a gateway to my master's court. I've dwelt here for eons, bringing those who sought love into the presence of Cupid. Jason didn't like the mention of difficult trials. He didn't trust this weird god with the hoop and the wings and the basket of fruit. But an old story surfed in his mind. Something he'd heard at Camp Jupiter. Like, Psyche, Cupid's wife. You carried her to this, his palace. Thelonious eyes twinkled. Very good, Jason Grace. From this exact spot, I carried Psyche on the wings and brought her to the chambers of my master. In fact, that is why Diocletian built his palace here. This place has always been graced by the gentle west wind. He spread his arms. It is a spot of tranquility and love in a turbulent world. When Diocletian's palace was ransacked, you took the scepter, Jason guessed. For safekeeping, Favonius agreed. It is one of Cupid's many treasures. A reminder of better times if you want it. Favonius turned to Nico. You must face the god of love. Nico stared at the sunlight coming through the windows, as if wishing he could escape through those narrow openings. Jason wasn't sure what Favonius wanted, but if facing the god of love meant forcing Nico into some sort of confession about which girl he liked, that didn't seem so bad. Nico, you can do this, Jason said. Might be embarrassing, but it's for the scepter. Nico didn't look convinced. In fact, he looked like he was going to be sick. He squared his shoulders and nodded. You're right. I, 
I'm not afraid of a love bug god. Favonius beamed. Excellent. Would you like a snack before you go? He plucked a green apple from his basket and frowned at it. Oh, bluster. I keep forgetting my symbol is a basket of unripe fruit. Why doesn't the spring wind get more credit? Summer has all the fun. That's okay, Nico said quickly. Just take us to Cupid. Favonius spun the hoop on his finger, and Jason's body dissolved into air. That's the end of chapter 35. Right after this break, we'll read chapter 36, but overall, that was a pretty lighthearted chapter. But I would definitely love to see Nico start opening up, because... I feel like it's a bit worrisome that he keeps all of that bottled up, all of those emotions bottled up, because he might explode at one moment, and it might not be good for him or anyone else around. So I really hope that he does find someone that he's able to share his feelings, share his emotions with, because I truly think that for the sake of Nico and for the sake of his happiness, I know that he went through a lot, and I do know that it's going to take a while for him to get over that, but... I think if you find someone that he can confide in, that definitely will be a way to get him out of that trauma, out of that, you know, way to get over it. So, yeah. Well, other than that, I think that this Favonius guy is going to be pretty interesting if he's going to be in the future chapters that we're going to read here. But other than that, after the we're going to go, we're going to go for a quick break, come right back and see you then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back from the break, and now we're going to read chapter 36, Jason. Jason had ridden the wind many times. Being the wind was not the same. He felt out of control, his thoughts scattered, his no boundaries between his body and the rest of the world. He wondered if this was how monsters felt when they were defeated, bursting into dust, helpless and formless. Jason could sense Nico's presence nearby. The west wind carried them into the sky above Split. Together, they raced over the hills, past Roman aqueducts, highways, and vineyards. As they approached the mountains, Jason saw the ruins of a Roman town spread out in a valley below. Crumbling walls, square foundations, and cracked roads all overgrown with grass, so it looked like a giant, mossy game board. Favonius set them, set them down in the middle of the ruins, next to a broken column the size of a redwood. Jason's body reformed. For a moment, it felt even worse than, the, than being the wind, like he'd suddenly been wrapped into a lead overcoat. Yes, mortal bodies are terribly bulky. Favonius said as of reading his thoughts. The wind god settled on a nearby wall with his basket of fruit and spread his russet wings in the sun. Honestly, I don't know how you stand it, day in and day out. Jason scanned their surroundings. The town must have been huge once. He could make out the shells of temples and bathhouses, a half a half-buried amphitheater, and empty pedestals that must have once held statues. Rows of columns marched off to nowhere. The old city walls wove in and out of the hillside like stone thread through a green cloth. Some areas looked like they'd just been excavated, but most of the city just seemed abandoned, as if it had been left to the elements for the last 2,000 years. Welcome to Salona, Bologna said. Capital of Dalmatia, birthplace of Diocletian. But before that, long before that, it was the home of Cupid. The name echoed as if voices were whispering it through the ruins. 
Something about this place seemed even creepier than the palace basement in Split. Jason had never thought much about Cupid. He certainly never thought of Cupid as scary. Even for Roman demigods. The name conjured up an image of a silly, winged baby with a toy bow, an arrow, flying around in his diapers on Valentine's Day. Oh, he's not like that, said Favonius. Jason flinched. You can read my mind? I don't need to. Favonius tossed his bronze hoop in the air. Everyone has a wrong impression of Cupid. Until they meet him. Nico braced himself against a column, his legs trembling visibly. Hey, man. Jason stepped toward him, but Nico waved him off. At Nico's feet, the grass turned brown and wilted. The dead patch spread outward as if poison were seeping from the soles of his shoes. Ah, Favonius nodded sympathetically. I don't blame you for being nervous, Nico D'Angelo. Do you know how I ended up serving Cupid? I don't serve anyone, Nico muttered, especially not Cupid. Favonius continued as if he hadn't heard. I fell in love with a mortal named Hyacinthus. He was quite extraordinary. He? Jason's brain was still fuzzy from his wind trip, so it took him a second to process that. Oh, yes, Jason Grace. Favonius arched an eyebrow. I fell in love with a dude. Does that shock you? Honestly, Jason wasn't sure. He tried not to think about the details of godly love lives, no matter who they fell in love with. After all, his dad Jupiter wasn't exactly a model of good behavior, compared to some of the Olympian love scandals he heard about. The West Wind falling in love with a mortal guy didn't seem very shocking. I guess not. So, Cupid struck you with his arrow and you fell in love? Favonius snorted. You make it sound so simple. Alas, love is never simple. You see, the god Apollo also liked Hyacinthus. He claimed they were just friends, I don't know. But one day I came across them together playing a game of quoits. There was that weird word again. Quoits? A game with those hoops? Nico explained, though his voice was brittle, like horseshoes. Sort of, Favonius said. At any rate, I was jealous. Instead of confronting them and finding out the truth, I shifted the wind and set a heavy metal ring right at Hyacinthus' head. And, well, the wind got sighed. As Hyacinthus died, Apollo turned him into a flower. The Hyacinth. I'm sure Apollo would have taken horrible vengeance on me, but Cupid offered me his protection. Done a terrible thing, but I've been driven mad by love, so he spared me. On the condition, I work for him forever. Cupid. The name echoed through the ruins again. That would be my cue! Favonius stood. Think long and hard about how you proceed, Nico D'Angelo. You cannot lie to Cupid if you let your anger rule you. Well... Your fate will be even sadder than mine. Jason felt like his brain was turning back into wind. He didn't understand what Favonius was talking about, or why Nico seemed so shaken. But he had no time to think about it. The wind god disappeared in a swirl of red and gold. The summer air suddenly felt oppressive. The ground shook, and Jason and Nico drew their swords. So, the voice rushed past Jason's ear like a bullet. When he turned, no one was there. You come to claim the scepter. Nico stood at his back, and for once, Jason was glad to have the guy's company. Cupid, Jason called. Where are you? The voice laughed. It definitely didn't sound like a cute baby angel's. It sounded deep and rich, but also threatening, like a tremor before a major earthquake. Where you least expect me? Cupid answered, as love always is. Something slammed into Jason and hurled him across the street. He toppled down a set of steps and sprawled on the floor of an excavated Roman basement. I would think you'd know better, Jason Grace. Cupid's voice whirled out around him. You found true love after all. Or do you still doubt yourself? Jason, Nico scrambled down the steps. You okay? 
Jason accepted his hand and got to his feet. Yeah, just sucker punched. Oh, did you expect me to play fair? Cupid laughed. <laughs> I am the god of love. I am never fair. This time, Jason's senses were on high alert. He felt the air ripple just as an arrow materialized racing through Nico's chest. Jason intercepted it with his sword and deflected it sideways. The arrow exploded against the nearest wall, peppering them with limestone shrapnel. They ran up the steps. Jason pulled Nico to one side as another gust of wind toppled a column that would have crushed him flat. Is this guy love or death? Jason growled. Ask your friends, Cupid said. Frank, Hazel, and Percy met my counterpart, Thanatos. We are not so different, except death is sometimes hmm, kinder. We just want the scepter, Nico shouted. We're trying to stop Gaia. Are you on the god's side or not? A second arrow hit the ground between Nico's feet and glowed white hot. Nico stumbled back as the arrow burst into a geyser of flame. Love is on every side, Cupid said, and no one's side. Don't ask what love can do for you. Great, Jason said. Now he's spouting green card mess greeting card messages. Movement behind him, Jason spun, slicing his sword through the air. His blade bit into something solid, but he heard a grunt and he swung again. But the invisible god was gone. On the paving stones, a trail of golden ichor shimmered. The blood of the gods. Very good, Jason, Cupid said. At least you can sense my presence. Even a glancing head of true love is more than most heroes can manage. So now I get the scepter? Jason asked. Cupid laughed. Ha ha ha! Unfortunately, you cannot wield it. Only a child of the underworld can summon the dead legions, and only an officer of Rome can lead them. But Jason wavered. He was an officer. He was Praetor. He remembered all his second thoughts about where he belonged. In New Rome, he'd offered to give up his position to Percy Jackson. Did that make him unworthy to lead a legion of Roman ghosts? He decided to face that problem when the time came. Just leave that to us, he said. Nico can summon. The third arrow zipped by Jason's shoulder. He couldn't stop it in time. Nico gasped as it sunk into his sword arm. Nico! The son of Hades stumbled. The arrow dissolved, leaving no blood and no visible wound, but Nico's face was tight with rage and pain. Enough games! Nico shouted, show yourself. It is a costly thing, Cupid said, looking on the true face of love. Another column toppled. Jason scrambled out of its way. My wife, Psyche, learned that lesson, Cupid said. She was brought here eons ago, when this was the site of my palace. We met only in the dark. She was warned to never look upon me, and yet she could not stand the mystery. She feared I was a monster. One night, she held, lit a candle and beheld my face as I slept. Were you that ugly? Jason thought he had zeroed in on Cupid's voice. At the edge of the amphitheater, about 20 yards away, but he wanted to make sure. The god laughed. Ha ha ha! I was too handsome, I'm afraid. A mortal cannot gaze upon the true appearance of a god without suffering consequences. My mother Aphrodite cursed Psyche for her distrust. My poor lover was tormented, forced into exile, given horrible tasks to prove her worth. She was even sent to the underworld on a quest to show her dedication. She earned her way back to my side, but she suffered greatly. Now I've got you, Jason thought. He thrust his sword into the sky and thunder shook the valley. Lightning blasted a crater where the voice had been speaking. Silence, Jason was thinking. Dang, it actually worked. An invisible force knocked him to the ground. His sword skittered across the road. A good try, Cupid said, his voice already distant. But love cannot be pinned down so easily. Next to him, a wall collapsed. Jason barely managed to roll aside. Stop it, Nico yelled. It's me you want. Leave him alone. Jason's ears rang. 
He was dizzy from getting smacked around. His mouth tasted like limestone dust. He didn't understand why Nico would think of himself as a main target, but Cupid seemed to agree. Poor Nico D'Angelo. The god's voice was tinged with disappointment. Do you know what you want? Much less what I want. My beloved psyche risked everything in the name of love. It was the only way to atone for her lack of faith. And you? What have you risked in my name? I've been to Tartarus and back, Nico snarled. You don't scare me. I scare you very, very much. Face me. Be honest. Jason pulled himself up. All around Nico, the ground shifted. The grass withered and the stones cracked as if something was moving in the earth beneath, trying to push its way through. Give us Diocletian's scepter, Nico said. We don't have time for games. Games! Cupid struck, slapping Nico's sideways into a granite pedestal. Love is no game. It is no flowery softness. It is hard work. A quest that never ends. It demands everything from you, especially the truth. Only then does it yield rewards. Jason retrieved his sword. If this invisible guy was love, Jason was beginning to think our love was overrated. He liked Piper's version better. Considerate, kind, and beautiful. Aphrodite, he could understand. Cupid seemed more like a thug, an enforcer. Nico, he called. What does this guy want from you? Tell him, Nico D'Angelo, Cupid said. Tell him you are a coward, afraid of yourself and your feelings. Tell him the real reason you ran from Camp Half-Blood and why you were always alone. Nico let loose a guttural scream. The ground at his feet split open and skeletons crawled forth. Dead Romans with missing hands and caved-in skulls, cracked ribs and jaws unhinged. Some were dressed in the remnants of togas, others had glinting pieces of armor hanging off their chests. Will you hide among the dead as you always do? Cupid taunted. Waves of darkness rolled off the son of Hades. When they hit Jason, they, he almost lost consciousness, overwhelmed by hatred and fear and shame. Images flashed through his mind. He saw Nico and his sister on a snowy cliff in Maine, Percy Jackson protecting them from a manticore. Percy's sword gleamed in the dark. He'd been the first demigod Nico had ever seen in action. Later at Camp Half-Blood, Percy took Nico by the arm, promising to keep his sister Bianca safe. Nico believed him. Nico looked into his sea-green eyes and thought, how can he possibly fail? This is a real hero. He was Nico's favorite game, Mythomagic, brought to life. Jason saw the moment when Percy returned and told Nico that Bianca was dead. Nico had screamed and called him a liar. He felt betrayed, but still, when the skeleton warriors attacked, he couldn't let them harm Percy. Nico had called on the earth to swallow them up, and then he'd run away, terrified of his own powers and his own emotions. Jason saw a dozen more scenes like this from Nico's point of view, and they left him stunned unable to speak. Meanwhile, Nico's Roman skeleton surged forward and grappled with something invisible. The god the gods struggled, flinging the dead aside, breaking off ribs and skulls, but the skeletons kept coming, pinning the guard, god's arms. Interesting, Cupid said. Do you have the strength after all? I left Camp Hathblood because of love, Nico said. And Beth. She. Still hiding, Cupid said, smashing another skeleton to pieces. You do not have the strength. Nico, Jason managed to say. It's okay. I get it. Nico glanced over pain and misery washing over his, across his face. No, you don't, he said. There's no way you can understand. And so you can run away again, Cupid chided. From your friends, from yourself. I don't have friends, Nico yelled. I left Camp Hapwood because I don't belong. I'll never belong. The skeletons had Cupid pinned now. But the invisible god laughed so cruelly that Jason wanted to summon another bolt of lightning. Fortunately, he doubted he had the strength. Leave him alone, Cupid, 
Jason Kirk, this isn't... His voice failed. He wanted to say it wasn't Cupid's business, but he realized it was exactly Cupid's business. Something Favonius said kept buzzing in his ears. Are you shocked? The story of Psyche finally made sense to him. Why a mortal girl would be so afraid. Why she would risk breaking the rules to look the god of love in the face because she feared he might be a monster. Psyche had been right. Cupid was a monster. Love was the most savage monster of all. Nico's voice was like broken glass. I I wasn't in love with Annabeth. You were jealous of her, Jason said. That's why you didn't want to be around her. Especially why you didn't want to be around him. It makes total sense. All the fight and denial seemed to go out of Nico at once. The darkness subsided. The Roman dead collapsed into bones and crumbled to dust. I hated myself, Nico said. I hated Percy Jackson. Cupid became visible. A lean, muscular young man with snowy white wings, straight black hair, a simple white frock and jeans. The bow and quiver slung over his shoulder were no toys, they were weapons of war. His eyes were as red as blood, as if every valentine in the world had been squeezed dry, distilled into one poisonous mixture. His face was handsome, but also harsh, as difficult to look at as a spotlight. He watched Nico with satisfaction as he identified the exact spot for his next arrow to make a clean kill. I had a crush on Percy. Nico spat. That's the truth. That's the big secret. He glared at Cupid. Happy now? For the first time, Cupid's gaze seemed sympathetic. Oh, I wouldn't say love always makes you happy. His voice sounded smaller, much more human. Sometimes it makes you incredibly sad. At least you faced it now. That's the only way to conquer me. Cupid dissolved into the wind. On the ground where he stood lay an ivory staff three feet long, topped with a dark globe of polished marble, but the size of a baseball nestled on the backs of three gold Roman eagles, the scepter of Diocletian. Nico knelt and picked it up. He regarded Jason as if waiting for an attack. If the others find out, if the others found out, Jason said, you'd have that many more people to back you up and to unleash the fury of the gods on anybody who gives you trouble. Nico scowled. Jason still felt the resentment and anger rippling off him. But it's your call, Jason added. Your decision to share or not. I can only tell you. I don't feel that way anymore, Nico muttered. I mean, I gave up on Percy. I was young and impressionable, and I... I don't... His voice cracked, and Jason could tell the guy was about to get teary-eyed. Whether Nico had really given up on Percy or not, Jason couldn't imagine what it had been like for Nico all these years, keeping a secret that would have been unthinkable to share in the 1940s. Denying who he was, feeling completely alone even more isolated than the other demigods. Nico, he said gently, I've seen a lot of brave things, but what you just did, that was maybe the bravest. Nico looked up uncertainly. We should get back to the ship. Yeah, I can fly us. No, Nico announced. This time we're shadow traveling. I've had enough of the winds for a while. That's the end of chapter 36. Wow, that definitely was a very hard-hitting chapter. And I think that this is one of Nico's first steps to opening up. And I think that once he slowly starts to let down those walls around his friends and the ones who really, truly care about him, I feel like it definitely will bring him... It definitely won't bring him back to how he was before all of this happened, but definitely will make him feel better. And I think that this is just one of the first few steps 
to that. And I, I think that I, I'm really excited to see Nico be able to grow, be able to finally be himself, finally be able to be that mytho magic nerd that he once used to be. And yeah, although maybe his crush won't exactly work out, but I think that this definitely is one of the best and bravest steps that he's taking. And there's only it can only go up from here. So I think I'm really excited to see that and really hope that Nico is able to continue on this trajectory and is able to slowly let down those walls and let everybody know what kind of, what kind of a person he truly is. So yeah, uh, we're going to take another yet another short break and then we'll come back and we'll read chapters 37 and 38 together because they seem relatively short. See you then. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back from the ads. Now we're going to read chapter 37, Annabeth. Losing her sight had been bad enough. Being isolated from Percy had been horrible. But now that she could see again, watching him die slowly from Gorgon's blood poison and being unable to do anything about it. That was the worst curse of all. Bob slung Percy over his shoulder like a bag of sports equipment, while the skeleton kitten, small Bob, curled up on Percy's back and purred. Bob lumbered along at a fast pace, even for a titan, which made it almost impossible for Annabeth to keep up. Her lungs rattled, her skin had started to blister again. She probably needed another drink of fire water, but they left the river Plegathon behind. Her body was so sore and battered that she forgot what it was like not to be in pain. How much longer she wheezed. Almost too long, Bob called back. But maybe not. Very helpful, Annabeth thought. But she was too winded, winded to say that. Say it. The landscape changed again. They were still going downhill, which should have made traveling easier, but the ground sloped at just the wrong angle. Too steep to jog, too treacherous to let her guard down even for a moment. The surface was sometimes loose gavel, sometimes patches of slime. Annabeth even stepped around random bristles sharp enough to impale her foot. And clusters of, well... Not rocks, exactly. More like warts of the size of watermelons. If Annabeth had to guess, and she didn't want to, she supposed Bob was leading down the length of Tartarus' large intestine. The air got thicker and stank of sewage. The darkness maybe wasn't quite as intense. But she could still see, only see Bob because of the glint of his white hair and the point of his spear. She noticed he hadn't retracted the spearhead on his broom since their fight with the Arai. That didn't reassure her. Percy flopped around, causing the kitten to readjust his nest in the small of Percy's back. Occasionally, Percy would groan in pain, and Annabeth felt like a fist was squeezing her heart. She flashed back to her tea party with Piper, Hazel, and Aphrodite in Charleston. Gods, that seemed so long ago. Aphrodite had sighed and waxed nostalgic about the good old days of the Civil War. How love and war always went hand in hand. Aphrodite had gestured proudly to Annabeth, using her as an example for the other girls. I once promised to make her love life interesting, and didn't I? Annabeth wanted to throttle the goddess of love. She had more than her share of interesting. Now Annabeth was holding out for a happy ending. Surely, that was possible, no matter what the legend said about tragic heroes. There had to be exceptions, right? 
If suffering led to reward, then Percy and she deserved the grand prize. She thought about Percy's daydream of New Rome, the two of them settling down there, going to college together. At first, the idea of living among the Romans had appalled her. She had resented them for taking Percy away from her. Now, she would accept that offer gladly. If only they survived this. If only Raina had gotten her message. If only a million other long shots paid off. Stop it, she chided herself. She had to concentrate on the present, putting one foot in front of the other, taking this downhill intestinal hike one giant ward at a time. Her knees felt warm and wobbly, like wire hangers bent to the point of snapping. Percy groaned and muttered something she couldn't make out. Bob suddenly stopped suddenly. Look. Ahead in the gloom, the ter- terrain leveled out into a black swamp. Sul- sulfur yellow mist hung in the air. Even without sunlight, there were actual plants, clumps of reeds, scrawny leafless trees, even a few sickly-looking flowers blooming in the muck. Mossy trails wound wound between bubbling tar pits. Directly in front of Annabeth, sunk into the bog, were fruit pr- footprints the size of trash can lids with long, pointed toes. Sadly, Annabeth was pretty sure she knew what had made them. Dracon? Yes. Bob grinned. That is good! Uh, why? Because we are close. Bob marched, marched into the swamp. Emmett wanted to scream. She hated being at the mercy of a titan, especially one who was slowly recovering his memory and bringing them to see a good giant. She hated forging through a swamp that was obviously the stomping ground of a dracon. But Bob had Percy. If she hesitated, she would lose them in the dark. She hurried after him, hopping from moss patch to moss patch and praying to Athena that she didn't fall into a sinkhole. At least the terrain forced Bob to go slower. Once Annabeth caught up, she could walk right behind him and keep an eye on Percy, who was mumbling deliriously, his forehead dangerously hot. Several times he muttered Annabeth, and she fought back a sob. The kitten just purred louder and stuckled up. Finally, the yellow mist parted, revealing a muddy clearing like an island in the muck. The ground was dotted with stunted trees and war- wart mounds. In the center loomed a large, domed hut made of bones and greenish leather, Smoke rose from a hole in the top. The entrance was covered with curtains of scaly reptile skin. And flanking the entrance, two torches made from colossal femur bones burned bright yellow. What really caught the Annabeth's attention was the dracon's skull. Fifty yards into the clearing, about halfway to the hut, a massive oak tree jutted from the ground at a 45-degree angle. The jaws of a dracon's skull encircled the trunk, as if the oak tree were the dead monster's tongue. Yes, Bob murmured. This is very good. Nothing about this place felt good to Annabeth. Before she could protest, small Bob arched his back and hissed. Behind them, a mighty roar echoed through the swamp. A sound Annabeth had last heard in the Battle of Manhattan. She turned and saw the Dracon charging toward them. That's the end of chapter 37. Pretty short chapter, but pretty intense as well. We'll have to see what happens with this Dracon and whether it's going to be able to recognize Bob and kind of look at Annabeth and Percy for good, in a good light for some time until they're able to get out of all of this. But yeah, the, the amount of torture that all of these demigods go through in general, it's just insane. It's, it's crazy. Just, you know, when you visualize them going through this much torture, it's, it's almost like, it, it's just like, how could anyone actually physically be able to go through this? You know, mentally, physically, they're just, they're just great people. I really do hope, just like how Annabeth said, I really do hope that all of these demigods get something, get some peace time. I feel like 
when it comes to demigods, they don't want any rewards, rewards like gold, money, none of that. They just want to have a moment of peace where they don't have to fight any monsters, don't have to do anything. Just sit and spend time with their friends. So I'm really hoping for that, that they come successful out of this war and, you know, they'll just be able to have some moments of peace, rest, all of that. So yeah, but we're going to now move on to the next chapter, which is chapter 38, Annabeth. The most insulting part? The Dracon was easily the most beautiful thing Annabeth had seen since she'd fallen into Tartarus. His hide was dried, dappled green and yellow like sunlight through a forest canopy. Its reptilian eyes were Annabeth's favorite shade of sea green, just like Percy's. When its frills unfurled around its head, Annabeth couldn't help but think what a regal and amazing monster it was that it was about a killer. It was easily as long as a subway train. Its massive talons dug into the mud as it pulled itself forward, its tail whipping from side to side. The dracon hissed, spitting jets of green poison that smoked on the mossy ground and set tar pits on fire. Filling the air with the scent of fresh pine and ginger, the monster even smelled good. Like most dracons, it was wingless, longer, and more snake-like than a dragon. And it looked hungry. Bob, Emmett said, what are we facing here? Maonian Dracon, Bob said. From Maonia. More helpful information. Emmett would have smacked Bob upside the head with his own broom if she couldn't lift it. Anyway, we can kill it? Us? Bob said. No. The Dracon roared as if to accentuate the point, filling the air with more pine ginger poison, which would have made an excellent car freshener scent. Get Percy to safety, Annabeth said. I'll distract it. She had no idea how she would do that, but it was her only choice. She couldn't let Percy die. Not if she still had the strength to stand. You don't have to, Bob said. Any minute, roar! Annabeth turned as the giant emerged from his hut. He was about 20 feet tall, typical giant height, with a humanoid upper body and scaly reptilian legs, like a bipedal dinosaur. He held, no weapon, he held no weapon instead of armor. He wore only a shirt stitched together from sheep hides and green spotted leather. His skin was cherry red, his beard and hair the color of iron rust, braided with tufts of grass, leaves, and swamp flowers. He shouted in challenge, but thankfully he wasn't looking at Annabeth. Bob pulled her out of the way as the giant stormed toward the Dracon. They clashed like some sort of weird Christmas combat scene. The red versus the green. The dra- dracon spewed poison. The giant lunged to one side. He grabbed the oak tree and pulled it from the ground, roots and all. The old skull crumbled to dust as the giant hefted the tree like a baseball bat. The dracon's tail lashed around the giant's waist, dragging him closer to its gnashing teeth. But as soon as the giant was in range, he shoved the tree straight down the monster's throat. Ameth hoped she never had to see such a gruesome scene again. The tree pierced the dragon's gullet and impaled it to the ground. The roots began to move, digging deeper as they touched the earth, anchoring the oak until it looked like it had stood in that spot for centuries. The dracon shook and thrashed, but it was pinned fast. The giant brought his fist down on the dracon's neck. Crack! The monster went limp and began to dissolve, leaving only scraps of bone, meat, hide, and a new dracon skull whose open jaws ringed the oak tree. Bob grunted. Good one. The kitten purred in agreement and started cleaning his paws. The giant kicked at the dracon's remains, examining them critically. No good bones, he complained. I wanted a new walking stick. Hmm. Some good skin for the outhouse, though. He ripped some soft hide from the dracon's frills and tucked it in his belt. I, 
Ameth wanted to ask if the giant really used Dracon hide from toilet paper, but she decided against it. Bob, do you want to introduce us? Annabeth! Bob patted Percy's legs. This is Percy! Ameth hoped the Titan was just messing with her, but though Bob's face revealed nothing, she gritted her teeth. I mean the giant. You promised he could help. Promise? The giant glanced over from his work, his eyes narrowed under his bushy red brows. A big thing, a promise. Why would Bob promise my help? Bob shifted his weight. Titans were scary, but Annabeth had never seen one next to a giant before. Compared to the Dracon killer, Bob looked downright runty. Damison is a good giant, Bob said. He is peaceful. He can cure poisons. Annabeth watched the giant Damison, who was now ripping chunks of bloody meat from the Dracon's carcass with his bare hands. Peaceful, she said. Yes, I can see that. Good meat for dinner. Damison stood up straight and studied Annabeth as if she were another potential source of protein. Come inside, we'll have stew, and we'll see about this promise. And that's the end of chapter 38. Wow, that definitely was a way to... That, that definitely was a great ending to this entire thing. I think that, you know, they're just going to get maybe that few moments of peace. And hopefully Damison is able to cure Percy. But yeah, I'm... It's just, Bob is such a nice guy. Even after finding out the fact that Percy had purposefully tricked him into losing his memories, he still is so lovely. He, it, it really makes you wonder, what did Nico actually do that makes Bob so indebted to them, you know? Uh, because I feel like if it were any other giant, he probably would have easily killed them off or even left them to fend for themselves and just watched as they weren't able to defend themselves. So it really makes you think whether... You know how you know it, what Nico what Nico actually did for Bob. You know what lengths did he go to to help Bob? You know get through Tartarus and be able to manage on his own. But yeah, definitely thing is a very fascinating type of um, ending that we got here. Um, moving on uh, to the shoutouts. Uh, we so I'm gonna just do some shoutouts and then we're gonna move on to the Q&A session. Uh, number one, Joy, Cool Kid, eight seven six five three, Alexandra Pixley, Caleb Diaz, Nico is very cool, Alicat, and Paula. Thank you very much. If I missed any shoutouts, do please let me know in this episode and I will try my best to get you in the next episode. Now moving on to the Q&A section. What is my favorite subject in school and why? I love world history. I think it's just so fascinating to learn about how the world had developed and the early stages of mankind and how it essentially we arrived here so i think that is very fascinating and how it also includes mythology from all around the world including greek mythology i just find it very very fascinating and it's a very enjoyable subject for me as a whole um next question is have i noticed that my voice changes from the beginning to the end um Sometimes, yes, I have. Uh, that might be just because um, my throat gets a little bit dry from from uh, reading uh, at a continuous length. But I'll try my best to minimize that discomfort for you guys. Um, next question is, favorite Harry Potter character? Um, either Dumbledore or Snape. Severus Snape. I just love those two. They're just very funny and just great. And especially in the movies. The actors, the casting was just perfect. I really loved it. Um, next question is, how many languages do you speak? Um, I would probably say two and a half to three. Um, I wouldn't say I'm fluent. That's why I give the two and a half. 
but I can speak it pretty well. It can get me around. Uh, next question is, what's the reason for supporting the Patreon? That's a great question. Um, so basically, uh, it's totally optional once again, but I would, the only reason why, um, I, if you guys would like to support me, the only reason why I say Patreon is because, um, I use uh, that money to, you know, buy books, and then if I save enough money, I will probably buy some equipment so that you're able to hear a better voice quality overall, and maybe even cancel out, you know, times maybe when I drink water in the middle, or something like that, so you're able to have good audio quality, and yeah, basically, that's why um, I encourage the Patreon, but again, it's uh, totally optional, yeah, there's no worries in doing that. Um, just listening to this episode is also a great support to me as well. Uh, next question is, am I a Mr. Beast fan? Totally. Uh, next question is, are you going to do Trials of Apollo? Of course. Uh, if it comes after this episode, if it comes after this series, after I finish this series, um, I will definitely be doing that. Um, I also have some other questions regarding the, um, spinoffs, like, uh, like to Sun and Star, Mortal Instruments, um... If there are enough books, I might just start a new series on that. Um, reason is, uh, I think that it would be much more fun to be able to cover that. And maybe even with some Harry Potter spinoff books as well. I feel like that would be very interesting to do as a whole. Um, let me know what you guys think of that. But yeah. Next question is, if you could be a demigod, who would you be the child of? Uh, either Hephaestus, Poseidon, or Athena. Um, Hephaestus because I love building things. I think the fact that he can engineer whatever he wants is just insane. Um, Athena because she's, you know, because of her intelligence, uh, war, war, her ability to do well in combat. You know, she has brawn and brains. That's a double combo right there. And then Poseidon, um, I just find it really, really awesome that you can heal yourself if you have any amount of water. And that's just really insane to me. And I really love that. But yeah, next question is, what uh, age range would you recommend for the series? I would probably say um, maybe maybe uh, early te- tween, teens, tweens, um, maybe like you're 11, 12, just because, you know, there's the there's like a lot of kissing in this book. But, you know, it just depends on, you know, your preference. If, you know, based on, you know, how how they've grown, how, how you've grown up, you know, or whoever you're, you're wondering about, um, I would just say, based on that, it would be a good recommendation. But I would think that this is probably good for, like, maybe 10 to 11-year-olds, maybe 12-year-olds, something there. Um, next question is, would you rather fight Clarice or Annabeth? Um, this would not be a fun situation. Uh... Hmm. I feel like Clarice. No, not Clarice. See, the issue is Clarice is really, really strong, and Annabeth is really, really smart, and it's really scary to go with either one of them. Um, I guess I would go with Clarice. Maybe. We'll see. I think I think I'd be I'd be I I do Clarice because. I don't know, I feel like maybe I could run faster than her and I could just escape somehow. But, yeah. Plus, Annabeth's got her invisible cap, so that'd be incredibly scary. Yeah, probably Clarice. I feel like it'd be easier to run away from her. But yeah. 
Next question is, what weapon would you like to use? Uh, definitely something like Riptide would be pretty cool. Um, I am a huge bow and arrow fan, too. I do love uh, learning. I would love to learn how to do the bow and arrow. But, yeah, those two would be my top weapons, I'd probably say. Uh, will I ever make a YouTube channel? I, mm, I'm not sure. Um, who knows? I think maybe in the future if I'm like, oh, if this reaches like, I don't know, 1 million views or something, I might make a YouTube channel. But for now, not right now. Not yet. Maybe in the future, though. Sometime. Um, do I post on any platform, any other platforms? Uh, not really. Um, same thing with YouTube. I probably maybe make one if, you know, uh, I do it on like, I make it like some kind of challenge or something. But we'll see. We'll see. I, I but definitely it, I will, I am leaning towards having some type of platform. I think it would be really cool. Um, let's see. How many books do I have? So I buy books when I go to, when I finish the book and then I get the next book. So I read my books online on a digital reader. So as soon as I'm done with one, I just buy the next one. So yeah, that's how that works. So I don't know how many books I have, but I have as many books as that this current book is the house of Hades. Is that 20, 13. I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's that. Uh, next question is, what monster, titan, god, giant would you wipe the mind of? Easily Gaia. I feel like this entire problem would not exist if Gaia just never knew it existed either. So, you know. Just, like, wipe her entire mind from child- from ever since eons ago. Maybe this entire thing wouldn't have happened. Um, next question, favorite couple, mm, Percy and Annabeth. Percy and Beth is the, the cutest ones. They, 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 they're obviously, they, they have some relationship goals, but that doesn't mean Frank and Hazel and Jason and Piper are not also amazing couples. They are. They just come in second, tied, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's it for all of the questions. If you guys have more questions, do please let me know. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And until next week, I hope you guys have a great rest of the week and stay safe and stay out of boredom.